We're doing our verse-by-verse study in the book of Galatians here on Wednesday nights, and we've made it to the end of Galatians chapter 5 into chapter 6. So please turn in your Bibles there. 1341, if you're using Bible under the seat in front of you. A really wonderful practical text in the scripture for us this evening. Let's pray. Lord, we want to serve you well. We want to live a life that glorifies you. We want to be good witnesses. We want to grow. We want to treat one another with love. And your word gives us the details. Your word is the light to our feet. And so I pray, Lord, that we would receive instruction from your word. And apply it in our lives in a day-by-day basis. Bless this time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So remember, as we've been studying in Galatians, that as born-again Christians, we are not to live the Christian life under law under some rigid set of rules and regulation in the power of your own flesh. That is not the way to live the Christian life. Instead, we are to live supernatural lives by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. If you're a born-again Christian, the Spirit of God lives in you to empower you, to transform you, to change you, to produce that awesome fruit In your life. And really, our focus as Christians should be to walk in the Spirit. That is, be dependent upon the Spirit day by day, moment by moment. So, how does walking in the Spirit, or what does walking in the Spirit look like in our treatment of others? And more specifically, what does walking in the Spirit look like in the way that we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ at church? That's what our text tells us tonight. I want you to look at verse 25 of Galatians chapter 5. It says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, that is, you who are walking by the Spirit, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ." If anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. 
But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. And let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Okay, I just want to point out five characteristics of a spirit-dependent Christian in his treatment of other brothers and sisters in Christ in the context of church. And here's the number one characteristic on the list. Spirit-dependent Christians maintain a constant, humble attitude about themselves. Look at verse 26, back in chapter 5. Let us not become, what? Conceited. Christians who are walking in the Spirit will not become conceited. Christian, don't become conceited. Now, the Greek word here for conceited is a very interesting word. It's kenadoxas, comes from two Greek words, doxa, which means glory or praise, and kenas, which means empty or vain. Vain glory. Empty praise. This speaks of someone who has a vain, empty, false, inflated, puffed up opinion of himself. A guy like that. This is a person who thinks to himself, I'm really special. I'm more special than anyone else. I'm important. I'm more important than anyone else. I do everything better than anyone else. I know more than anyone else. I should have all of the attention. I should get all of the applause. People should be focused on me. Don't become like that. Don't be conceited. And and understand something. This is really tricky here. Because this is an attitude that's very hard to spot in your own life. In fact, arrogance has been called the only sickness that everyone else can see except for the one who has it. So, never forget that you are a sinner saved by grace just like everyone else. Never forget that. So you might be very zealous in the Lord and you're growing in the Lord leaps and bounds. You're getting an incredible knowledge of scripture and theology. You serve and you pray. Don't let that go to your head. You're a sinner Saved by grace, just like everyone else. Amen? Maybe you have more resources than other people in the church. You got a bigger bank account, more education, more connections. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. Just don't let it go to your head. 
You're a sinner saved by grace, just like everyone else. Maybe the Lord uses you in mighty ways. Maybe he's really gifted you and talented you, you know, giving you these awesome talents. And he's blessing your ministry. He's blessing what you're doing. That's awesome. Don't let it go to your head. You're a sinner saved by grace. Never forget that you are to be a servant. You are to guard from any attention coming your way. Look down in verse 3 of chapter 6 real quick. It says, if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So if you're a Christian here tonight and you think that you're something special, that you really got it going on, you're important, you're amazing. Can I just tell you that you're deceived? You're deceived. Because as Christians, we know the truth. We're nothing. All that we have, we have through Christ alone. So this is a very important thing to be on the lookout in your life. You do not want conceited Christians in a local church. They create all kinds of problems. In fact, Paul mentions two there in verse 26. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Conceited people have a tendency to provoke others in the church. Now, this is a word that means to challenge somebody to a contest, to compete, to incite rivalry. The idea is you think you're better, you're superior than all these other people, and you go around trying to prove it. So this person will criticize, you know, the way somebody teaches or the way somebody serves or the way somebody prays. You know, they're always better than other people. Talking down to other people. This is the person who is always picking a theological fight. You ever met that person in church? They bring up some area of theology just so they can show you their brilliance. On theology. It leads to competition. You provoke people. Years ago, and this is years ago, nobody knows this guy, but there was a guy at church, and he would criticize every Bible teacher in the church. It didn't matter what it was, he'd challenge everyone. It could be a men's study or a home group Bible study, and he would always challenge. And he would be waiting for me after every service to challenge every, you know, obscure details. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I love to talk with people after the service and dialogue and get insight and talk through things. But this guy, every single service. We do have a radio program here in El Paso and... Uh, Many different Calvary Chapel pastors actually do have radio programs. And there was one particular Bible teacher 
on the radio who mentioned Mother Teresa in one of his sermons that played on the radio. And this guy who I'm talking about didn't like Mother Teresa, had issues with Mother Teresa, said nobody should talk about Mother, no pastor should sanction Mother Teresa. And so, I kid you not, he wrote a six-page, single-space, six-page treatise on the evils of Mother Teresa and why we should not associate or talk about her He sent a copy by email to the Bible teacher on the radio. He also copied me, because I was his pastor. And he also copied Chuck Smith, (laughs) the leader and founder of the Calvary Chapel movement. That's being conceited. That's having absolutely no self-awareness. That's thinking... That you're so important that Chuck Smith is going to drop everything that he's doing and read your treatise. Don't let that happen in your life. And of course, I'm talking about extreme, right? But there can be different shades of pride and arrogance that you need to be aware of. Here's the other problem that this will create. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, verse 26, envying one another. People that think too highly of themselves oftentimes become envious of other people. They don't like it when other people shine. They want all of the attention. They resent When good things happen to other people. They think that they should be in certain positions. And of course that can lead to a whole bunch of jockeying around behind the scenes for power. Backbiting. Trying to maneuver in. After all you're the best right? You should have the best spot. So this is a very very important thing to consider as a member of the church. And as I've said it can be an absolute blind spot in our lives. This is something that you need to be thinking about, praying about, asking God to search your heart. Why do you do what you do? What is it about that person that you dislike? Why? Are you making comparisons with other people? Okay. Characteristic number two, spirit-dependent Christians restore other Christians who sin. Look at verse one, chapter six. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So here Paul is speaking about a Christian man who has sinned, has fallen into a sin. You know, Christians are not perfect, right? Here's a guy, think of some Christian in a local church, 
who's failed, whatever that might be, anger, sexual immorality, substance abuse, theft. Now, I do not believe that this is speaking of a hardened, rebellious Christian who's intentionally disobeying God and making a mess of things. I think that Christians like that need to be disciplined and treated with very strongly. Now, this is speaking about someone who has been overtaken by a sin. The Greek word can also be translated trapped, and there's an element of surprise to it. Here's a Christian man who got trapped, and he fell into sin, and it's just as surprising to him as everyone else. Or this would describe a Christian who's struggling with a sin, trying to run from a sin, but the sin overtakes him. And he fails. And he falls. What do spirit-dependent Christians do? What's their goal with a person like that? Restore such a one. Restore is the word that means to restore back to its original functionality. It was used of the Greeks by doctors who, when when somebody broke a bone, they'd set the bone back in order. It was also used to speak of mending those nets. The disciples would mend their nets. After a long day of fishing, you know, the nets get tangled, they get messy, and so you spend time and you mend them and you get them ready so they're ready to function properly the next day. That's what you need to do with the person in the church who's fallen. They were useful. They were serving God. They fell. Restore them back to where they were. And how do we do it? It says restore one in a spirit of gentleness. Meekness. Forbearance. Mildness. Kindness. Love. Mercy. Grace. Be kind to that person. Be encouraging to that person. Alan Emery had an experience when he was a little kid living at home which made a deep impression upon him. He never forgot this. His father received a call saying that a well-known Christian had been found at a certain place drunk on the sidewalk. Immediately, his father sent his chauffeured limousine to pick the man up while his mother prepared the best guest room in the house. This little boy watched wide-eyed as the beautiful coverlets were turned down on the exquisite old four-poster bed, revealing the monogram sheets. But mom, he protested, he's drunk. He might even get sick. I know, his mother replied kindly. This man has slipped. And fallen. And when he comes to, he will be so ashamed, he will need all the loving encouragement we can give him. Little kid never forgot that. 
You know, if, if someone has been struggling or gets trapped and falls, they're ashamed. They're hurting. Be gracious to them. Be encouraging. You know, too, too often, and, and I hate this, but in the church we tend to kick one another when they're down. Listen, Christian, Christianity is a battle, and people get bloodied on the battlefield. And as Christians, we should help the wounded, amen? Care for them. Restore such a one, also it says at the end of verse 1, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. You restore someone who's blown it with humility and caution, knowing that but for the grace of God, so go I. Never lose sight of the fact that you're weak. We all have a proneness towards sin. Don't come with that superiority. Restore with humility being yourself on guard against temptation. Powerful verse. That's how spirit-dependent Christians deal with that situation. Notice, they don't gossip. Did you hear about so-and-so? Or you have a prayer meeting. Did you hear about so-and-so? You don't ignore people. You don't ignore them. You don't cast them out. You don't get heavy-handed on them. When you see that happening in a, in, in a Christian's life, you go and you seek to restore. Now, by the way, that doesn't, this verse is not saying that there need to be sin sniffers in the church. Sniffing everybody's business, investigating everybody's dirty laundry, the gospel of Gestapo, right? Don't be a part of that. The idea is, as you become aware, maybe it's a close friend or it's somebody in the church that you know and you've seen. Seek to restore that person. Help that person. Right, characteristic number three, spirit-dependent Christians in church help to bear the burdens of others. Look at verse 2, chapter 6. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, the word burden is very important to understand in the context here. It's the Greek word baros, and this means... A very heavy weight. Something that is extremely cumbersome and hard to carry. This is a burden that's much too heavy for one person to bear. This is a burden that requires help. Trying to carry it on your own will crush you. Christians in a local church who are walking by the Holy Spirit will rush to the aid of other Christians who are under a crushing weight. 
Now, what kind of crushing weight might that be? Well, there's big-time trials in life that Christians face, right? The loss of a job. Becoming financially wrecked. How about the loss of a loved one? How about an accident or a health issue? How about a house destroyed by a fire or a natural disaster? What about a marriage that's falling apart? Or what about something as simple as a family's moving from one house to another? That can be a very significant issue. We should rush to help carry those burdens. Now, how do you bear the burdens? Well, there's many different ways. I mean, certainly prayer, praying for families in need, going to the hospital, visiting them, praying for them, going to their house, praying for them. Prayer is certainly something that we should always do, but the real emphasis here, I believe, is practical acts of service, not just prayer, but actually rolling your sleeves up and helping out that family in need. It was James who said in James chapter 2, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you don't give them the things which are needed for the body, what does that profit? Oh, I pray that you find something warm to wear. Give them something warm to wear. Help them. Very simple things. Let me tell you right now, I think one of the the best ministries at our church that everybody can be a part of is called the Meals Ministry. We have this meal train. And my family was just the benefit of that. Many of you know that my wife went through a minor surgery and she's been out for several weeks. And we had families coming by with the most delicious food. I can't tell you how much that was appreciated. It lightens the load. Helping families by mowing their lawns when there's sickness, when there's an issue. Maybe cleaning the house. Bringing supplies to a family that's going through a crisis. And let me tell you this one. There's a real thoughtful list of of things that you can bring to families when they're in crisis. Paper plates. Plastic silverware. Throwaway cups. Napkins. Because a lot of times people will bring a lot of food. And that creates a lot of dishes to wash. You want to really bless someone's socks up, bring them paper plates. Be real thoughtful in what you do and how you help people to carry a load. Helping someone to rebuild a house. To labor with them in something that that happened. Somebody needs to move. Take your Saturday, bring your truck. Help them move. 
giving good biblical counsel to people who are going through tough times, staying in touch with them, texting them, calling them. How you doing? We're thinking about you. How can we help? Financial support, helping families through difficult times by giving them money, gift cards for gas, for groceries, etc. All of these different ways. In a local church, if somebody is in need, rush to their aid. Rush to their aid. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, this burden cannot be carried by pastoral staff alone. It can't. Terry and Kim, Daniel and Sarah, Peter and Linda, we can't be the one doing all that. You know what's going to happen if you think that the pastor has to do all that? Many people are not going to be cared for. People are going to fall through the cracks. The congregation is responsible for that. And by the way, let me just say, this congregation is very healthy in that respect. We have an army of people who... When we make an announcement about something, we have lots of people on the meal train. We have lots of people in the helps ministry. It's very healthy here, and I, and I love it. If you're not involved in that, you can. You know, it's funny. Almost everybody who's benefited from the meal train signs up for the meal train. Because they know what a benefit that is. So if your name's not on that list, get it on, the, get it on a piece of paper, let us know, and we'll get you on the list. Sharing burdens, caring burdens. I think burdens would also speak of the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry. M- ministry takes a lot of work. And it's very important that as Christians, we share the burden. We carry that burden. You know, a lot of times in churches... That picture is a picture of the ministry leader. Utterly overworked. Needing help. Shouldn't be that way in the body of Christ. We should have plenty of volunteers for the nursery. We should have more than we need. We should have plenty of ministries for the, of servants for the children's ministry, for ushers, greeters, technology, all of that. We should rush to cover those things. I heard a story years ago, and it has such a powerful principle to it. Herman Ostry's barn floor was under 29 inches of water because of a raising creek due to a flood. The Bruno, Nebraska farmer invited a few friends to do a barn raising. He needed to move his entire 17,000-pound barn to a new foundation more than 143 feet away. His son, Mike, devised a lattice work of steel tubing, nailed, bolted, and welded it on the inside and the outside of the barn. Hundreds of handles were attached. After one practice lift, 344 volunteers slowly walked the barn up a slight incline, each supporting less than 50 pounds. In just three minutes, the barn was on its new foundation. Now, you know I'm an engineer, so I like to run the numbers. (laughs) Let's say 250 volunteers only showed up that day. Each one would have to carry 70 pounds. 
Let's say only 150 volunteers showed up that day. Each one would have to carry 113 pounds. 50 volunteers. Each volunteer would have to carry 340 pounds. Impossible. The more that are involved, the better things operate. Don't be that Christian who is just the pew sitter. Don't be that person. All kinds of wonderful practical ways to get involved. So walking in the spirit, you will bear burdens of other people. Now, by the way, in this verse, I'd also like to say this. You should be willing to receive help. For the burdens that carry, that come into your life. Some folks in the church are hesitant to cry out for help in time of need. They think it shows weakness. And that's kind of a prideful thing. When these cataclysmic things happen in your life, man, you have a family. The body of Christ, if this is your local church, you have people that are rushing, will rush. Jesus, I mean, Paul says we fulfill the law of Christ by doing this. The law of Christ, remember, is do unto your neighbor as you would have them do unto you, right? If you have a burden in life, don't you want help? And... When others have a burden, you should help. Really, really practical. Look at the next thing that Paul says, which seems to contradict what we just talked about. Look at verse 4. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. Now, that's bizarre. A spirit-dependent Christian will bear his own load. What's going on here? Well, in verse 2, it's that Greek word baros, which means that heavy weight, the crushing weight. Here it's a different word. Here it speaks of something more manageable. In fact, it was used to speak of the pack that soldiers would carry while they're marching. You're in the military, you go on a march, everyone has their pack. And everyone's responsible to bear their pack. That's the idea here. This is a personal load that all must carry in life. You alone are responsible for this pack. You alone are responsible for the normal day-to-day cares and responsibilities of life. You alone are responsible to take care of your family, to provide for them, to work hard, 
You are not to be on a meal train perpetually. You are to be self-sufficient. Self-reliable. Responsible. Carry your own weight. Carry your own water. Carry your own pack. That's really important. See, Christians are not to be lazy. Christians are to be responsible. It's interesting. It says in verse 4, examine your own work and have rejoicing in yourself alone, not in another. The idea is keep your eyes on your work. What you're called to do. Your responsibilities in life. And rejoice in the fruit of your labors, which don't require dependence on anyone else. It's important. I think we could also apply this to our calling and participation in the local church and in ministry. My brother and sister in Christ, I do believe every Christian is called into the ministry. We all have a task. We all have something that we are to accomplish. I believe the New Testament clearly teaches that we all have the Holy Spirit. We have all been given gifts and talents. We all have a calling in church. And I promise you, your calling from the Lord is not to just sit in a pew. Your calling is to be involved in the advancement of the kingdom of God in this community and to the ends of the earth. And everyone has that little handle on the lattice that you got to pull and lift. And when Christians drop out or don't carry their pack, the work suffers. It really does. Now, we've had many Bible studies on on spiritual gifts and callings, and I I talk about it so much here. There's all kinds of different gifts. There's teachers, there's, um, there's, there's preachers, there's, you know, those those positions that are seen, that are more visible. There are also positions where it's behind the scenes, administrative helps, doing all these things that nobody sees. Acts of compassion, acts of mercy, generosity, all of these different things. It should be one of your primary objectives in this life as a Christian to discover what your gift is. where it fits, and how you're going to jump in and serve. Carry your pack. And by the way, there's also a personal responsibility when it comes to our own spiritual growth. You know, coming to church is a wonderful thing, and I hope that you grow and get to know the Lord better here in your interaction with people. But, you know, I always... I always pray that when we teach the Bible here, it's a spark that sets a flame, that puts a hunger in your, hey, I'd like to find out more and read more, 
learn more. There's, there's, there's a personal responsibility to spiritual growth. Bear your load. Amen? All right, one final verse, one final characteristic tonight. Verse 6, chapter 6. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Now, I believe that this is a verse that is speaking about leadership in a local church. And I believe the primary responsibility of a pastor in a church is to teach the Bible. That is what my role is. That's my load. That's my calling. That's what God has given me the task of doing. And I believe that should be the number one responsibility of a pastor of a church. And I think all of the pastors should also have that teaching ministry as well, whether it be in a small group, one-on-one, teaching spiritual truth, preaching spiritual truth. I am required to give all I have to that, all that I have. And I, I, I do really take that very seriously. Have you noticed that I love what I, what I do? I really love what I do. I feel called. I love to teach the Bible. I love to to share it and study it. The members of a local church have the responsibility to share in all good things with him who teaches. In other words, support the pastors of the church. Make sure that the local church is supported financially or in other ways so that we're adequately staffed and able to do the work that the Lord has called us to do. That's what it means. Support your local church. Spirit, dependent Christians, that's a big, big deal for them to make sure that that ministry is supported adequately. Now, I got to tell you, I love what I do so much, I would do it if nobody paid me a dime. I love to teach the Bible. I taught the Bible uh, when I was in college. Started a college ministry. I love to teach. In Albuquerque, I would, I'm working as an engineer. I'd teach where anybody would listen. I would, they, they sent me to a prison to teach. Hospital rooms. I just love to teach. When I moved here in, to El Paso... Um, we planted this church, and I supported myself as an engineer working at El Paso Intelligence Center, and we, we started this church on the side, purely burning the midnight oil. Love to do it. God's blessing was upon this church. It grew, and it got to a point where, like, pretty quickly, actually, within two years, that I was able to be supported full-time. And it was at that time that I added a Wednesday night before we had only had a Sunday. I had more time. And then as the church has grown over the years, we've added other pastors and other staff members. 
And I will tell you, man, it has been wonderful to watch how God has provided through this very, very generous congregation. And you know we're real low-key here on, on, on money. We use these agape boxes. Sometimes I forget to make the announcements. I had one guy come up to me and say, how do I give to your church? People want to give because we're not beating them over the head with it. We're not making it a big deal. My thing is, is if, if, if the support ends, the church closes. And we all move on and do something else, right? Because where God supports, I think he's in it. By the way, you're going to need to support. You. I hope you don't have to support me one day by um, paying for my bail when I get thrown in jail for hate speech. Man, we are living in a world where even being to, to passionately and faithfully teach this, this book is becoming more and more dangerous with every year. So bail me out of jail, will you? <laughs> Get my back. And can I say this? Get the back of your pastors. Support your leaders. Bless them. Encourage them. You would be shocked to know all the work that goes in to a local church and the things that happen behind the scenes. Bless those people that are being able to do that full time. And by the way, I so appreciate being able to do this full time. Okay, so let's review. Christians who walk in the Spirit in their treatment of other Christians at church, they do not become conceited. They maintain a humble attitude. They restore failing members in gentleness. They help bear the loads of family members that are struggling, the demands of ministry. They carry their own pack in ministry and in life. And they faithfully support the work of the local church. Very practical things. Let's ask God to help us make them so in our life. Would you bow your heads with me? And I'd really like to just pray through each one of these points. Father, I pray as your people that we would be truly humble every day. That we would not live in a way that would draw attention to ourselves. That we would not be jealous of other people. That we would not compete with other Christians. We'd rejoice in the work that you do through others. Lord, make us humble. Keep us humble. Lord, I want to pray for anyone here tonight who has fallen into a sin. 
and wonders if they can be restored. My friend, you can be restored. The Lord will restore you. Come to him. Don't play games with God. Come to him in humility. Return to him. Lord, I pray that you would give us as your people great discernment in in helping others. Helping to restore others, Lord. Guard us from gossiping, from criticizing. Lord, I want to pray for anyone here tonight who's bearing a crushing weight. Maybe you're here and you're going through just a terrible, terrible time in life. Please share that with us. Come forward and share that with us. Let this family come around you and help you. Lord, I pray that as your people, we would be sensitive to all the many needs that are around us every single day. Lord, I pray for all the ministries that you want to do in this church. And I pray for a number of volunteers that would make each ministry more effective. Father, I pray that you would bless our our day-to-day responsibilities, our jobs, our chores, being good neighbors. Lord, I pray that we'd be responsible that we would work hard in life, in our jobs, as if we were working for you, Lord, because we are working for you. So I pray we do that well. I pray for everyone, every member of this church, I pray that their eyes would be open to what gifts you've given to them, what the calling that you've placed on them, We know you want to show us. You're delighted to show us where we fit. And then, Lord, I thank you for this beautiful local church that you've put together. I thank you for your church worldwide. I thank you for Christian ministries. And I pray for health. I pray that your work would be fully supported. Financially, in resources, in energy, in volunteer, all of that, Lord, make your church healthy. Do your work, Lord. And finally, Lord, help us to remember to walk by your spirit every single day. To be dependent upon you. To be aware of your presence with us. Empower us. Do your, do your amazing transformation work in our lives. Produce that fruit in our lives. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name.